Welcome to this week's Energy Show. Now, the United States is a representative democracy. People vote for politicians who will theoretically advocate for their needs, whether things like better health care, lower taxes, cleaner air, or more solar. We have to vote for officials who will work on behalf for solar. Vote solar. It's a catchy name for an organization. So it's my pleasure to have Adam Browning, the executive director of Vote Solar, as my guest on this week's show. Adam was one of the co-founders of Vote Solar back in 2002. They advocate for state policies and programs needed to repower our electric grid with clean energy all around the country. They have staff on the ground in California, Colorado, Illinois, Massachusetts, Maryland, North Carolina, Vermont, and Washington, D.C. I've been incredibly impressed with Adam and his team's solar policy wins around the country. I've known Adam for over a dozen years. So it's great to have you on the show, Adam. Welcome. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on, Barry. All right. Well, tell us a little bit more about Vote Solar. So we are a nonprofit public advocacy organization founded with the idea of bringing solar into the mainstream, really to repower the country with uh, clean, renewable electricity. Come a long way since 2002. The Advocacy efforts needs have really changed as we've as the solar industry has continued to grow and evolve. So right now we are 30 people around the country. We've got 13 different offices in around the country working right now in about 26 different states, doing a lot of legislative work, but really a lot of regulatory work as well, getting down into the weeds at the public utilities commissions to where most of these key critical decisions are made. We were founded, sort of ironically here, because you can't just vote for solar. Super majorities of Americans really want to see this transition to renewable energy. But the critical decisions that make that happen, that allow that to happen, are often made in the back rooms of these public service agencies. And our goal is to represent all the people that want to see this change in those venues where the key decisions are, are made. Yeah, it's so important. I never really heard of what a public utilities commission did until 2001 when I started getting involved in California solar policy. And it was just, you know, they were basically driving the train and controlling the direction. So it's amazing that that we've been able to have so much influence there. And then, you know, the other states that you mentioned. So I know we're not going to specifically talk about solar voters, but just about how many solar enthusiasts, solar voters, solar homeowners, occupants, businesses have solar? What's the number of solar voters that we can count on in the country? You know, that's a great question. So first off, just almost everybody is a potential solar voter. When you do polls around the country, and we do, we find that, again, I'd be hard-pressed to find a single issue, including mom and apple pie, that pulls higher than a desire to see more solar. We regularly see support for renewable energy and solar in specific in the 90th percentiles. It's really something that unites this country in a particularly divided time. Now, people's reasons for wanting to go solar, for wanting to support solar, may come from very different areas of the heart, but the key thing is that it's actually there. The tricky thing is turning that type of latent power into actual political power, and that's a big part of a lot of what we do, is to collect, organize the people that are interested in seeing this change and helping them to be effective. So 
like I said, like we were talking about earlier, many of these key decisions are made in public utilities commissions. Well, you need to really do a lot of work ahead of time in order to develop a record, in order to get key solar decisions ready to be voted on. And then you need to bring the parade to show these policymakers that when they make the right decision, there's a lot of strong political support for the right way to go. So right now, our membership is around 100,000 around the country. Now, keep in mind that there are nearly around 2 million solar installations right now. We have a long way to go in order to ensure that everyone that has a solar installation on their roof is a solar customer, also is a part of that solar army that's there to defend and expand key policies that help solar grow. So that's our goal right now, is to capture all the Americans that are interested in seeing this change and making them effective advocates. To do this, we have a new campaign called I Heart My Solar Campaign, uh, developed in partnership with fellow organization called Solar United Neighbors. This allows anybody to go on the website. It's uh, I Heart My Solar. You can get it off of Boat Solar and take a picture of your solar system on your roof, and then it will send that picture pictures say a thousand words, as they always say, to all of your state and federal elected officials, along with a message about your solar support. So right now, what we're asking is all solar companies, especially residential solar companies, share this opportunity with all their customers so that people that we know are really interested in solar because they purchased it are able to connect with Vote Solar in order to become stronger solar advocates, effective solar advocates around the country. That's key to show how much you know, Crownsville grassroots support there is. How do you balance the various solar market segments? We talk a lot about residential, but you know, in terms of the number of megawatts installed, utility scale is bigger, and commercials kind of always out there as a big potential market. Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, the answer is, is that we really work hard to support them all and not just because we want to be equitable, but because we think that strongest solar market is the most diverse solar market. Diversity brings strength. Distributed generation really brings strength. So one of the most you know exciting movements happening right now is this call for 100% clean or 100% renewable energy. And we've seen around the country, like this past legislative cycle, I would say has been the most impactful, bar none, when you look collectively at all the bills that have been passed, we've seen incredible support for the really incredibly high levels of renewable energy. So from 50% in Maryland this year to you know, 100% clean in New York, New Mexico, Nevada now has a path to 100% as well. So our question is, is like, you know, if you're 100% clean energy, does does it matter what that looks like? And I would argue very strongly that it does. It does indeed. We need to really lean forward on a energy system that includes both central station for real scale, but also distributed generation for real, real value. And the path forward, particularly when you start looking at a, a grid that is run on really high levels of variable renewables, in order to really integrate to run that grid reliably and safely with so much of these very renewables on board, you really need to have a customer-centric system that depends upon customers being able to install 
battery storage that allows customers to generate their own electricity and to be compensated for changing their grid beneficial behavior through demand response programs. That is the lowest cost and highest resiliency path forward. And so even as we get increasing amounts of renewable energy, an energy policy system that really focuses on the customer level and putting the customer in charge of his or her own energy systems is going to be even more important, not less important. Yeah. So, so like when we talk about those energy policies, this is one of the things that, that kind of amazed me how difficult and expensive it was. And, and I'm going to say briefly, and no pun intended, but how do we document and advocate in front of organizations like the Public Utilities Commission? What do we have to do? What is it that you're doing? So, you know, we have what we call an inside-outside strategy. So, when you go in front of a Public Utilities Commission, you lawyer up. This is a litigated proceeding, and you need to make your case with facts, with analysis, with numbers. So half our team are regulatory experts. We have a regulatory team that builds these giant spreadsheets that, you know, frankly, dim the lights of a minor city when you run them in order to, again, make your case with numbers. But, Barry, you know and I know you never win just because you're right. You also need to really work to align the politics with the outcome that you want to see. Different states have sort of different enabling legislation around their public utilities commissions, but generally speaking, you've got around five appointed officials, and you need to figure out, like, what is it that they're hearing? What do they need to understand? Who is influential to them? And develop a campaign that, you know, after you've power mapped those individuals, develop a campaign that really speaks to that particular power structure. So yeah, yeah, that, every that, place we work is totally different. Yeah, that's the, the inside-outside strategy. Okay. All right. So, Adam, what are some of the biggest successes Vote Solar has had over the past dozen years or so? What's really moved the needle? Ah, Barry, what a, what a great softball question here. So, as we've talked about before, we work on both residential rooftop solar issues as well as the large utility scale. And so, I've just talked about how you know, around the country, we have really focused on establishing really high-level mandates for renewable energy. So I'd say, you know, last year's bill on in California establishing a 100% renewable clean energy standard um, really opened the floodgates for many more this year throughout the country. Where we've seen, you know, New Mexico, Washington, Nevada, Maine, New York. A lot of people live in New York all pass their versions of 100% clean or 100% renewable standards. This is by far the most impactful thing that's happening in the climate space right now, this phenomenon moving towards that. And so we worked really hard on these RPSs around the country. But I'd also say, you know, the majority of our work really goes to standing up for rooftop solar rights. And so one of the campaigns that I'm most proud of is Nevada over the past several years back in the end of 20. 2015, you had Nevada Energy really crush rooftop solar with a policy that ended net metering. Pink slips went out on Christmas Eve, killed the entire industry. We worked blood, sweat, and tears for a year and a half organizing, and following that, frankly, changed the entire politics of the state, where we saw a resumption of net metering, brought those rooftop solar policies and jobs back 
And since then, some of the most successful state-level legislative sessions of any state anywhere where you pass major legislation that puts the entire state on a clean energy path going forward. Yeah, so we need more of that. So I'm going to just kind of jump ahead to, and this isn't a softball question, this is just like really important, but how can people, solar customers, businesses with solar, people in the solar industry, how can they support Vote Solar? What is it that you need from people who are interested in solar? Well, look, first and foremost, you know, democracy is a contact sport. You have to get involved. And so if you go to Vote Solar and hit our join button and become one of the Vote Solar member activists in your area, we'll always apprise you of the opportunities to get involved in the most important local battles, whether it be legislative or whether it be regulatory We'll plug you in and give you an opportunity to be heard when the time is right for that. If you are a business, join, and you're not a part of your state SIA or your national SIA, you really ought to be. We all need to band together. You know, utilities look at policy as a revenue driver, and they put money into it accordingly. Solar industry, frankly, I know so many solar companies, you know, were founded based upon real business people and enthusiasts over this incredibly cool technology and didn't really plan on being policy experts. You know, investing in policy, frankly, is is just non-optional. Yeah, I mean, I had to buy a suit because in order to show up in Sacramento, it's going going way back to 2001. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the point, is that, you know, this is not an optional part of anyone's business. And so from the individual level, like, you know, we don't represent the industry. We represent the individual. We like to work in partnership with the solar industry. And anyone, if you're a part of that 91% of America that desperately wants to see this transition to renewable energy, whether it be for climate or whether it be for your pocketbook, then I urge you to join Vote Solar and we'll plug you into all those local state battles in order to make it happen. Now, what about financial support? Is that something that would be helpful? Absolutely. You know, I like to say that solar energy falls free from the sky every day. Solar policy doesn't. It takes real work. It takes real money in order to make it happen. So most of our support comes from foundations. We spend a lot of time writing grant proposals. Every year, we throw two big parties called Equinox, and that's the opportunity for individuals and industry to help support us. So one's in uh, San Francisco and then in the spring, and then in the fall, we have one on the East Coast called Equinox East or Equinox DC, where it is. Please come to our parties, come to our events. And then finally, yes, if you are an individual that cares to share your means, we really welcome that partnership and put that money to good work immediately. The nonprofit business model is a, is a very difficult one, and we welcome the fuel and the partnership from any individuals that shares our vision of seeing a 100% clean energy system by 2050, of which solar is the majority contributor to it. That's our goal, and that's what we're working towards. Right. Well, yeah, speaking of fuel, what's what's getting everybody's attention now in California, this, these wildfires. So how is that affecting the way in which you need to advocate, how you advocate, and is that kind of creating more of a groundswell of support as people get these letters from the utilities saying, hey, we're going to turn out your power because there's too much danger out there. We need to get backup power. So, you know, I think that that really does catalyze. People are 
many people are just used to not having to think about energy and the challenge that we're collectively facing in California as a state really is is that you know during wildfire season which is longer and longer transmission lines will need to be de-energized and people really need to think about what their options are. I think as a state, as a policy planning, we really do need to continue our move to a much more resilient distributed system. And this is our challenge right now is to show the ways that solar and solar plus storage can really provide long-term solutions for the challenges that we're facing. But the nice part about it is is that we don't have to wait for policymakers to make that shift. Individuals can take matters into their own hands. Yeah. It's amazing that we're, you know, at Cinnamon Energy, we're doing testing on battery storage systems. You know, was in battery business 15 years ago and kind of got out. But a lot of the newer lithium-ion systems, they not only do they work great for backup power, which is what people are kind of emotionally concerned about, but they also provide the grid support services, and it makes it easier to get to a closer to 100% electric grid, clean electric grid. Because you're going to have all these distributed resources. People have batteries that are dedicated for their power. They have batteries in their car. They have other ways of shifting loads. And that's something that's really going to start to make sense if we can get more support at the public utilities commissions for those behind-the-meter assets. Yeah, you know, as we talked about before, I really do think that the more that we can monetize grid beneficial behavior, you know, the future, there's an immense amount of value that needs to be mined, that it's available from customer behavior, whether it's from batteries or whether it's from your ability to just shift your demand. And the future really is about policies that enable people to make money by making better choices. Yeah, and that's it. They make the choices when it's good for the environment and they can make money at it, which kind of raises a little bit of a irony here. We've got a couple more years at least of what I would just nicely term federal hostility towards solar and climate change. How does that affect your advocacy efforts over the next few years? You know, since our founding, our strategy has we've always lived by this mantra of if your plan involves Congress you should have another plan. And, you know, to be honest, like I've never really known how to pass federal legislation at the state. You are just much closer to democracy. And frankly, you know, we have a commitment to federalism when it comes to energy policy in this country, and most critical decisions are made at the state level. So we really partner with SIA when it comes to these federal issues, really give them our support whenever we can as they walk the halls of Congress to try to figure out how to pass the investment tax credit and other critical pieces of legislation. But we don't, we really focus our efforts at the state level. And I think that that's where we can make the most, pull the biggest levers and make the most change going forward. Again, Barry, we're passing just this year, we had five states pass 100% clean or 100% renewable policies just this year. Like, to my mind, like, you know, when are we going to see federal legislation like this? Maybe never, but we're yeah. going to see a lot more states that yeah. go this way. And this is how we can move, make the biggest impact yeah. is focusing there. All right. Let's just briefly turn to something, you know, a little bit on more of a personal level. Do you have solar on your home, batteries, and how did you get into the solar business? Sure. So two different questions there. The first question is, I am a renter. And I am a proud customer of our local CCA, the East Bay Community Energy. Mm -hmm. And there we have upgraded to the Renewable 100, where you are 
able to get a 100% renewable mix. So our local community choice aggregator is out there signing new contracts with uh, new solar systems around the state at incredibly cost-effective levels. So if you rent and don't own your own roof, it is an awesome option to partner with your local CCA where you have that choice to get renewable energy at the same price or less than your normal grid power. That's what we've chosen to do. So I got into solar way back uh, in the year 2001 when I was working at the Environmental Protection Agency and my old buddy from college, a college friend was working for Mayor Willie Brown, and he had the idea, let's try to get solar on City Hall. We looked into it, and as we were doing that, it it really became clear that we needed to do a, a citywide ballot initiative in the city of San Francisco to really try to power put solar on city-owned facilities, do energy efficiency upgrades, and pay for it all by issuing a revenue bond where the energy savings from those installations would pay back that bond. So that idea was championed. Our allies at that point in time were then City Supervisor Mark Leno and then City Supervisor Gavin Newsom, who were the two biggest champions of that effort. I'd never done anything like this. We worked hard on a citywide ballot initiative. It was some of the most fun I'd ever had. The whole political process was uh, invigorating and enthralling as we had crowds of people that wanted to get involved in this, wanted to be a part of something bigger than themselves, make positive change locally. And when that issue passed with a 74% of the vote, my friend Dave Hochschild and I quit our jobs to start a nonprofit to try to do more of these. Solar was nine bucks a watt. The whole idea was through scale, bring down costs. Yeah, yeah, and then you really, really, really accomplished a lot. It's, it's amazing the, the progress you, you've made over the past, heck, almost 20 years or so. How can people get in touch with Vote Solar? So we're on the Internet, votesolar.org. That's where you can find the most information about that. And feel free to send me an email, adam at votesolar.org as well. All right. Well, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Adam's terrific show. Thanks for joining us. And thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. If you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts. 